The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is really about meditation and the famous people who have gotten excited about meditation. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Beatles. And I was uh, looking online and I saw this wonderful woman who is uh, who wrote a book, uh, many books actually, but she wrote a memoir, Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles Guru. And he was actually a guru for me too. We're going to talk a little bit about that, why uh, why our wonderful guest, Dr. Susan Shumsky, and I are really kindred spirits. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Susan Shumsky has dedicated her life to helping people, and she has been a highly effective, powerful, wonderful woman helping people at, through her books and her training. She is the best-selling author of 20 books in English, published by Simon & Schuster, Random House, Penguin, Red Wheel, Weiser, and Sky Horse, and 36 books in foreign editions. She has won 40 prestigious book awards, a yoga expert. That's She's also a yoga expert and pioneer in the human potential field. And she has spent 50 years teaching thousands of people meditation, prayer, affirmation, and intuition. She is the founder of Divine Revelation, a unique field proven technology for contacting the divine presence, hearing and testing the inner voice, which we all really need to listen to our inner voice, and receiving clear divine guidance. And for 22 years, her mentor was Maharishi Mahesh Yoga, who was the guru for the Beatles and for Deepak Chopra. She served on Maharishi's personal staff for six years, and in 1970, Susan spent six months in Rishikesh. I uh, Rishikesh. I think I'll have to ask her how to pronounce that. Studying with Maharishi at his ashram, and she's returned to India several times, including 2001, 2007, 2016. Uh, 2010 and 2013, and she's led tours there as well. And in her recent memoir, Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the, uh, with the Beatles Guru, 
she describes what it's really like to be a disciple of a spiritual master, and she'll tell us about those interesting experiences with the Beatles. She tells the true story of what happened when the Beatles and other uh, celebrities visited Maharishi's ashram. And her websites are drsusan.org and divinetravels.com. So, Susan, we're so excited that you're joining us this morning. Well, I'm really excited to be here with you today, Mari. Yeah, and we were talking before that I actually learned Transcendental Meditation way back in like 1966 or 67, and I used to watch all these videos by the Maharishi, and he would do trainings through video. So, and I remember the Beatles were were into this, you know, uh, transcendental meditation and Maharishi and that they were in it. I think they influenced me to get all excited about that instead of drugs. (laughs) 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 And then I think I told you before we got on the line that my ex-husband and I, our first dog, we named Jay Gurudev, who was Maharishi's teacher, and we used to call her Dev, so she was a very spiritually enlightened cosmic dog. (laughs) 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 And and we got a kick out of that. So, uh, yes, how wonderful. So tell me, how is it that you got into meditation? Well, it was the 1960s. I was a hippie. I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and those of us who were flower children at the time, people don't realize it wasn't just all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We were really very serious about experiencing what was called at that time altered states of consciousness or higher consciousness. And our gurus were Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, who later became Ram Dass. And they wrote a book called The Psychedelic Experience, which was like a manual for LSD trips. And it was based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Right. And, um, yeah, they told us to turn on, tune in, and drop out. Right. And uh, that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to reach nirvana through LSD. That didn't work out too well for me. As a matter of fact, I had a major psychotic break as a result of taking LSD. I never came down from the drug. Weeks and months later, I was having LSD flashbacks. It was terrifying, horrifying. Mm, yeah. And uh, But I still wanted to experience nirvana. So I was reading books like Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda and The Way of Zen by Alan Watts and the Buddhist scriptures, various scriptures. And in Alan Watts' books, he said that you have to find a meditation guide and in 1966 in Berkeley, California, you didn't exactly go to the yellow pages and look up right. the meditation guide. And they didn't so even I, have the internet then either. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And uh, so I asked a friend, well, how do I find this meditation guide? And he, he suggested, he said, well, have you ever tried to meditate on your own? And I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I lay down on my bed. That's how clueless I was, Mari. I didn't even know that you're supposed to sit up when you meditate. (laughs) I lay on my bed and sort of prayed for or asked for a meditation. And immediately I was propelled into this ecstatic state. I could feel this cord or rush of energy rushing from the tips of my toes all the way to the top of my head. And I felt like I was plugged into this cosmic electric socket, but in a most ecstatic way. 
And I figured, well, I guess this is meditation. Little did I know that not only had I had my first meditation experience, but also kundalini awakening all at the same time, without any drugs, I might add. Right. And then then a friend uh, took me to the Transcendental Meditation Center. So that's really how I got into it, uh, through this friend who said, come with me, we'll go to the TM Center. And there was no teacher there. I had to actually wait nine months for a teacher to show up so that I could learn TM. But I did learn in the summer of love, 1967, in August. Yeah, I, we were probably doing it about the same time because I went to the Berkeley of the Midwest. <laughs> University oh. of Wisconsin in Madison was also a very radical school, if you might remember, oh. during the 1960s. And I graduated high school in 66. And so in 67, I was, you know, introduced to all of the things that you were introduced. We were, you know, like I said, kindred spirits. And so, yeah, so they had a TM center and... I decided, you know, I mean, everybody was, uh, you know, experimenting with drugs, LSD and, you know, mescaline and all that stuff. And I, and I remember seeing that the Beatles at that time were getting into this. And I thought, you know, I would prefer to reach nirvana or have cosmic consciousness through natural and and really develop my brain to do this you know yeah so so we were both kind of in the same thing so I was excited about it and and even had it you know they brought in a teacher and um and then you what they did was you would offer up your apartment or your house to do an initiation and then people would come in and they would initiate one at a time and they'd get their mantra and they'd get this thing, and then you'd go to the student union for these group meditations because it was very powerful when, you know, 50, 80 people in the room are all meditating together for 20, 25 minutes. It's, it was, you know, it was really powerful. So, so yeah, I mean, very exciting times, and, and Maharishi was talking about all of this, you know, transcending, and, and and you actually transcended in your first meditation, right? <laughs> well, that was before I ever learned TM, uh, many months before I ever actually yeah. learned TM. But, yes, I had a, a quite an amazing experience, and um, yeah. that definitely gave me even more motivation to real, to learn real meditation. When my friend took me to the TM Center, I saw a picture of Maharishi on the wall, and immediately I felt this energy coming from his eyes, and yes. I thought, well, this is where I'm going to learn real meditation, and I did, and I had such amazing experiences that immediately I wanted to learn more, and I wanted to become a teacher, yes. so I was volunteering at the TM Center, and I applied to every course. I started applying to all these courses. I kept getting rejected, because you had to be 20 four years old and yeah, have yeah. graduated college in order to go to India to study with Maharishi. So I applied to all the courses, including the course that the Beatles went to, and I was rejected for all of them until 1970 when Maharishi allowed younger students to go to India. So that's when I ended up going. And, um, and then I actually spent two decades with Maharishi in, in his organization and six years on his personal staff very exciting i know when even when i would watch those videos i could just feel that energy and almost see an aura around him of you know of really 
connection connecting to the cosmos so yeah it was uh, it was really uh, a wonderful experience and for those who are listening and especially those on the campus here at the University of California um, you know this may sound like really funny because you all know who the Beatles are but this was a time like the Vietnam War we were all looking for peace we were looking for outer peace and inner peace and higher consciousness and so this was a time that all of this was really so beautiful for us. And, you know, the older generation thought we were all nuts. But, you know, I was kind <laughs> of a clean hippie, you know, and I'm sure you were a clean hippie. But, uh, yeah, we all, you know, I deactivated my sorority and I walked to the Capitol with my candle during the Vietnam War <laughs> and all those things that we did. And, you know, here I am a lawyer now, but um, all these things that we did because we felt we wanted to change the world in a peaceful way. And and mm-hmm. so that's what we were looking for, a way to do that. Now, let's... Yes. Right, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say that Maharishi, his main uh, platform, shall we say, was that he wanted to create world peace. Right. And he always said in order for the forest to be green, the trees must be green, in order for us to have a world at peace, individuals must be at peace. So he actually believed that if a small percentage of the population would meditate, that we could create peace on earth. And that's why he dedicated his life to teaching transcendental meditation. And he trained 40,000 teachers who taught 6 million people to meditate during his lifetime. Right. And he wanted to prove this whole world peace idea So what he would do is he would send groups of people to crime-ridden areas and to war-torn areas, and the people would meditate there in groups. They would do group meditations together. And what then the scientists would do statistical analysis, and what they found was that the crime rate went down and the war would subside during these experiments that Maharishi would, would do. And so he proved something that is now called the Maharishi effect, which is a small portion of the population meditating has an influence on the world. Yes, and I remember Harvard did a a, a project also to, to determine that in New York City. And during the times that the people were meditating that the crime rate went down. So there's been all sorts of uh, scientific experiments showing that meditation really does, you know, being that mindfulness and that meditation really does affect the entire, you know, everybody around them. The the challenge is, is for everyone to be doing it and everyone to stay in that mindfulness, uh, you know, approach to life. But um, yeah, I think we're seeing more and more types of meditation. I know you teach your own type of meditation now. You've evolved to do that. And there's so many different types of meditation. And it's also become more mainstream. People don't look at us if we say we're meditators like we're, you know, some strange animal anymore. (laughs) Right? Yeah, Uh, well, 10 to 14% of the population claims that, of the United States, claims that they meditate. That's a huge number, Mari. Yes. And, you know, I teach meditation and and i teach mindfulness to lawyers so right yeah and and i teach it to professionals so i i teach mindfulness 
And so that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, people would have said, you're, you know, what are you? You're a weirdo, you know? But now I do it in the mainstream for the Orange County Bar, the State Bar of California. I teach it for different companies. So, you know, people are recognizing not only is it, you know, really soothing and you can also transcend, but it's the health benefits that they've researched, you know, about your heart slowing down and, and your metabolism and, you know, and the cortisol and all, and the adrenaline is reduced so that you can really be, you know, thoughtful and all these good things that happen from it. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And we've stood the test of time, haven't we, Susan? (laughs) For sure. Sure, Mari. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. I think everybody would be excited to hear because of your new book, Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles Guru. Let's talk about how did the Beatles get into TM? Well, it was Patty Boyd, uh, George Harrison's wife, who first saw a classified ad in the Times of London for Transcendental Meditation. And they had already gone to India studied with Ravi Shankar. So they were, and by the way, he was the foremost sitarist at the time. Very Yes, famous. he was wonderful, so, uh, right? Yeah, so they, so she learned TM, and then she told her husband, George Harrison, about it, and uh, how wonderful experiences she was having. And he said, well, I want my own mantra. So when they <laughs> found out that Maharishi was going to be coming to the Hilton on August 24th, 1967, George got tickets for the Beatles and their wives and girlfriends and so on, and friends. And they went to see Maharishi, and they were very favorably impressed. And so they met with Maharishi after the lecture, and they explained to Maharishi that they wanted to have uh, spiritual experiences, but they'd been using LSD to try to have that, but that really wasn't working out for them. And Maharishi said to them, Well, it's laudable that the youth of today want to have spiritual experiences, but drugs are not the way. You should learn TM. So he invited them to come to Bangor, North Wales, where he was teaching a retreat that was starting the very next day. So they traveled with Maharishi on the train, on public transportation. The Beatles never did that. They traveled with him all the way up to Bangor, North Wales, and they uh, started TM there. They learned TM from Maharishi there, and they, it was a 10-day retreat, but unfortunately, they could only stay three days because uh, they got there on Friday, and on Sunday, unfortunately, they got the news that Brian Epstein, who was their manager, oh. had overdosed on drugs and had died, so they oh. had to rush back to London, mm. but they were very, very keen on meditation, and they were talking about it to everyone, and they were uh, they were defending it in the press, and John Lennon said that they should go on tour and promote TM and, quote-unquote, turn everyone on to TM. Well, uh, remember, so they yeah, were, yeah, they, yeah, you know, I remember the song with Jai Guru does. Yes, Nothing's going to change. Right, right, right across the universe. Yes. And that's, you know, that's the name of our dog, Jai Guru Dev. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so they were, they were kind of doing that, weren't they? They were promoting uh, transcendental meditation through their songs. Absolutely. And John wrote Cross the Universe very soon after he learned TM. 
And that expression in the song is Jai Guru Deva Om. Yeah. And uh, Guru Dev, when Maharishi, anytime he would say hello, good, he, he would never say hello, goodbye, have a nice day or anything. What he would do is he'd put his hands together in prayer position, in pranam position, actually, what they say in India. And he would say, Jai Guru Dev. And ah. what that meant was hail to the divine teacher, Gurudev, meaning his guru, Maharishi's right. guru. Right. And that's how he would remember and give homage to his guru hundreds of times a day. That's where John Lennon found out, you know, he found out about that and he put that into the song Across the Universe. Right, right. So fascinating. So, uh, you know, you talk about that uh, Cynthia Lennon was heartbroken in India. What happened with her, didn't she, did she learn TM as well? Yes, they all learned TM, and they they actually um, Maharishi invited them to come to India to Rishikesh, India. So they went there in February of 1968, and Cynthia was hoping that it would be a second honeymoon for her and John John Lennon. We're talking about right. So uh, they got to India, but unfortunately. Within a week, John moved out of the room that he was in with Cynthia, and he spent every day reveling in telegrams and letters that he was getting from Yoko Ono. Oh, he was already oh. infatuated with her. Oh. So he basically ignored Cynthia the entire time. It was heartbreaking for Cynthia. Mm. And when they left India, on the way back, on the plane ride, John confessed to Cynthia all of, to Cynthia, all of his indiscretions indiscretions of the hundreds of women that he had had sex with and she was completely in shock mm. because she thought that her husband had been faithful to her the entire time oh so sad huh so um what uh what about the beatles what did maharishi think about the beatles which one did he think was really most in line with with the uh, transcendental meditation or, quote, the best meditator. The best meditator. Well, Maharishi said that Ringo goes by feeling and heart, and uh, he is completely in tune with meditation. And he said, um, but as for the other Beatles, too much brain is in the way. Oh. He said, of all the Beatles, George is the most advanced, and this is his last life. And he said, John has many more lifetimes to go and must not give in to his weakness for women, or it will ruin him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, obviously, uh, I don't know if they listen to him or not. <laughs> But, uh, well, he didn't say that to to the Beatles directly. He said that to one of his disciples. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, why did they leave India? Why? Did, oh, you t you said that was because Brian Epstein had overdosed, right? No, no, that was that was where they left uh, Bangor, North Wales. Oh, that oh. was in August, late August of '67. Right. And then they went to Rishikesh, India. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, Ringo left after 10 days. Uh, he had a six-month-old child at home. There's no way that they could stay very long. Right. Uh, and, and besides Maureen, his wife Maureen, uh, we're talking about Ringo Starr here, mm -hmm. the drummer of the Beatles. 
Right. So his wife uh, hated the insects. It was a jungle, you know. There were millipedes, centipedes, scorpions. Oh, but yeah. in fact, the legend is that she was held hostage by a single fly for hours until, <laughs> until oh. Ringo got back to kill it. And also he had had peritonitis as a child and he couldn't handle the food. He had brought an entire suitcase of Heinz beans with him. Oh, my God. But (laughs) (laughs) maybe he ran out of the beans. Anyway, they left after 10 days. And Paul McCartney, he had come with Jane Asher, his girlfriend. And she had a theatrical commitment back in London. Uh, She was a player at Old Vic. and, And so they had to get back to London. So he left after five weeks. John and George were the ones that stayed from February till April. They actually stayed till April 10th. Yeah. And they left. Yeah, they left. Uh, they actually left in a huff. They were, they got angry at Maharishi. Yeah. There were several reasons for that. <clears throat> well, you know, it seemed to me that they were, they were really also, as their songs changed, you know, throughout the years, that they were looking to evolve consciously, right? They were they were Very really much. looking for that. You know, you talk about uh, some of the words, uh, some of the songs, you know, in, that they had. Can you kind of share with us a couple of the songs that that really were influenced by Maharishi? Oh, so many. See, the the re- the thing is, the Beatles wrote forty songs when they were in India in Rishikesh. Oh, I didn't know and- that. Yeah, and 30 of those ended up on the White Album. Hmm. Basically, almost the entire White Album was written in India under Maharishi's direction. Um, not, I mean, Maharishi wasn't involved with the writing of the songs, but under Maharishi's influence, right. shall we say. Right. So many of them. And um, they, some of them were just about people who were there at the ashram with them, like Dear Prudent and Bungalow Bill and... Uh, Jojo from Get Back and and others. And some of them were about Maharishi's lectures, like Mother Nature's Son, uh, written by Paul. And um, also, Everyone's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey was entirely <laughs> made of uh, the entire lyrics of that song were Maharishi's words. Maharishi would always say, uh, come, come. Or come on, yeah. And he was always used to say, "It's such a joy." <laughs> and he also would say, "Take it easy, take it as it comes." Those are the lyrics of that song. Oh, you know? beautiful! And Blackbird was another one, right? That they wrote there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Paul, at first, when he wrote that song and it came out, he at first said that it was about uh, that early in the morning he heard uh, a bird right. singing, right, and that. That was the reason he wrote that song. Uh, later, uh, as is with Paul, Paul <laughs> changes changes his tune a lot. Uh, he'll say that a song is about something, and then you know, years later, he'll say it's about something yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. So with Blackbird, later he said that it was about the civil rights movement. A black bird, meaning a black oh, right. girl, an African American girl. Uh, finding her way in the civil rights movement, a broken wing learns to fly. Yeah, uh, that's a that's my favorite song from the White Album. Yeah. Actually, I think it's a beautiful song. I think all of us can relate to it very emotionally. We can relate to that song. Right. 
Well, we are just about out of time. I want to make sure that you can give your website so people can go and learn all the great things that you're doing now. So please give your website, and it's time to go. DrSusan.org and also DivineTravels.com. That's plural on the travels, D-I-V-I-N-E, Travels, T-R-A-V-E-L-S. Yes, and people need to get this book, Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles Guru, because I think it's just fabulous. So, Susan, thank you so much for joining us, my kindred spirit, and you take care. God bless. (laughs) And thank you, Mari. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minerva and KUCI.org on the web. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. You gotta fight both night and day. Doesn't matter what some people may say. Don't be the lamb's cry, be the lion's roar. Cause love is worth fighting. Fighting for love is worth fighting for.